Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Today we are going to continue in our study, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We went into chapter 7 a little bit last week to finish up the Temple of the Living God section. Now, the rest of the chapter is based upon Paul's joy at the church's repentance. Let me just tell you that it is a joy for a pastor when a church or when an individual repents and comes to know God. It is a joy for the pastor it is a joy for the church when a person comes to know the Lord. So Paul has joy at the church's repentance. Now, it's important to note that it's the church's repentance. So his joy was exceeding because this was a church. This was a place of worship. These were people that were supposed to be discipling others to come to know to the, to the Lord, to come to the Lord, and they weren't doing that for a time. So Paul then had to write this letter to instruct them. And so we're starting here in chapter 7 in verse 2. Accept us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have defrauded no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts so that we would die or live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting of you. I am filled with comfort and I am exceedingly joyful in all, all, all our tribulation. For when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no, had no rest, and we were troubled on every side. On the outside were conflicts, on the inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us through the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. When he told us about your sincere desire, your mourning and your zeal toward me, so that I rejoiced even more. So, Paul's giving a little bit of an understanding here. He says, they have not... Wrong to know, wronged anyone. They have not corrupted anyone. They have not defrauded anyone. So he says, accept us. Why would he say that? Accept us. We have not wronged anyone. We have not defrauded anyone. We have not done all anything bad. Accept us as the example of what it should be. 
He says, I do not say this to condemn you, condemn no one, or to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts so that we would die or live with you. So he's saying, accept us as the example, not to, not to say you're not doing, but accept us as the example so that when we come to you, when we think of you, know that we are thinking of you, you are with us, you're in our hearts, we're praying for you, we want you to succeed. He says, I do, I, I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts so that we would die or live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting of you. <clears throat> so he was, because of their repentance, he was boasting of them, <clears throat> how great they were, how great their repentance was. And his speech, his speech was bold toward them. You ever have someone be bold with you? You need to do this. Just tell you like it is. We talked about that this morning, how there's two ways of doing that. <clears throat> you, can <clears throat> you can tell someone they need to get right with God in two different ways. You can tell them they need to get right with God in a hateful way, in a condemning way, or you can do it in a loving way. And Paul was bold enough to tell them they needed to do it in a loving way. So great was their boldness, his boldness toward them and his boasting. He was bold enough to say, this is wrong. You need to get right with God in a sense in all of his writings and they repented. So he boasted of their repentance. He boasted that they repented. This is a call for us to share our faith. How do we do that? What do we do? Do we share our faith? Or do we say our life is a living witness? The way, we, the way we live our lives, that's a witness. I will tell you that that's not the only way to witness. And if you're doing that, you're copping out. Your actions aren't just part of it. Your words and your actions must match up. If you're living a moral life, if you're living a godly life, people are going to ask you, why do you live the way you live? And what are you going to tell them? Oh, I just have high morals. That's the way I was raised. So I'm living the way I was raised. Or are you going to say, I'm living this way because the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and he compels me to live this way? That's different. That's different. There are people that we, that we rub shoulders with every day, whether it be at work, within our buildings, within our daily errands that we run or whatever the case, that need Jesus and they need us to be that light for them. So are we the lights? Paul said, I am filled with comfort and I am exceedingly joyful in our tribulation. 
because of their repentance, because of the way that they've turned away from their wicked ways and turned back to God, he could go through anything and still be joyful. Because the people are following God. He already knows where he's going. There's no doubt in his mind where he's going. Should he die, he's going to be with the Lord. So he's exceedingly joyful through his tribulation because not only him, he's going to be there, but the people will be there because they repented and they're following God. It's a tribulation. It's something that we go through. But do we have joy in our tribulation? Or do we get sad and sorrowful? I, I think it's normal to be sad and sorrowful for a minute, for a bit. But then I think it's important for us to understand that we need to know who we are and whose we are. And that he's in control. That he sees our need. Amen? He sees our need. And he wants us to know that he loves us. And his desire is for us to know him. And should we die today, we would be with him. Amen? Verse 5. <clears throat> for when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, and we were troubled on every side. On the outside were conflicts, on the inside were fears. He's talking about their emotions, their feelings. On the outside, there were conflicts. They were persecuted. They had things going on, conflicts. And on the inside were fears, which are not unusual. We all have fear. We all deal with fear. He says, on the outside was conflicts, on the inside was fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us through the coming of Titus. So God used Titus to bring comfort. God used someone to bring comfort to them. Do you ever have somebody come to you and say something or just as being there? in your life and in a situation and it just brings comfort to know they're there? Whatever kind of situation it might be. Isn't that wonderful to know that somebody's there with you? Like God sends someone just to sit with you or just to talk with you or just to allow you to vent. We all need to vent every once in a while. Get, get something off our chest. God will send someone there to listen. And doesn't that bring comfort? He comforted us through the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also the comfort with which he was comf com comforted in you. When he told us about your sincere desire, your mourning, and your zeal toward me so that I rejoiced even more. So their repentance, their mourning, 
They're mourning. They're, they're, they're seeing, they're, their eyes are being opened to the wrong they've been doing, and they're mourning that. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school, repentance. What is true repentance all about? And there are some things that we can, we can grasp through this and through the story this morning with 2 Kings 22. But if you look at this repentance, what is repentance? They were sincere. It says He told about us about their sincere desire, your sin, sincere desire, your mourning, and your zeal toward me. So they were repentant. And they were zealous to know God. They were zealous to get right with God. They were zealous for Paul to come and share with them, or at least for Paul to talk with them through letters about God and about what God can do. They, they, they were, were repentant for the way they had lived. Have you ever had a repentant experience like that? Where, where maybe you were a Christian, but you've gone, gone off your path and God sends someone to kind of snap you back into place, and all of a sudden, you realize you were wrong, and you get a sincere desire, and you mourn for the sin that you committed and the time that was lost in doing that sin. And you want to know God more, so you, you, you become more zealous for the word and zealous for the teaching and zealous for the preaching of the word. This is what was happening here. Paul was more rejoicing because of their repentance, even in tribulation. Not only was he rejoicing, but he was really rejoicing because they were repentant. Did you know that it, that it is said in the scriptures that Heaven rejoices when a sinner comes to repentance. Heaven rejoices. Not just the individual here on earth and the, and, the, and, the, and the individual leading them to the Lord, but all of heaven rejoices when one sinner has come to repentance. It's important. So Paul's rejoicing was not uncommon. It was very common. Verse 8. Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that this same letter has caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Now, we talked about that this morning. We talked about sometimes things need to be said. Sometimes you can't just sweep things under the rug. You need to talk about things. Things need to be said. Somebody's doing something wrong. They need to know about it. They need to know you know about it. And you need to say something about it. Paul is saying he does not regret writing that letter but he regrets the sorrow that it gave them. Never regret sharing your faith. Never regret sharing what God puts on your heart to share with someone. Never regret that. You may regret the sorrow that comes from it in their lives, 
but you're doing your part. You're witnessing. You're doing what God has called you to do. Amen? Paul was regretful for the sorrow that it gave them, but he was not regretful for the letter. Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. He does not regret writing it. Do you ever do that? You say, well, I wish I'd have never done that. I wish I could take it back. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I, I, wish, I, I, I wish I wouldn't have went there. Those are regrets. Paul says, I, have, I do not regret the letter, though I regret it, though I do regret it. For I perceive that this same letter has caused you sorrow only for a while. So what happens when we come re repent? The sorrow that we have comes from the realization that we are doing wrong before God. That's the sorrow. The sorrow comes from the, re the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he says it's for a while because they recognize that there are being convicted of sin and they turn their hearts from their sin and toward God, therefore bringing joy in their life because what God has done in that moment of repentance. I can remember, maybe some of you are the same way, but I can remember when I gave my heart to the Lord. It felt like I was getting scolded by my pastor and it hurt but it wasn't my pastor it was God bringing me to repentance and when I went up to the front and I gave my heart to God when I walked up there I was sorrowful but in my repentance I was joyful because a weight had been lifted off my shoulders like I'd never felt before and that's what he's talking about when he says they were sorrowful, but only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not that I, you were made sorrowful, but that you, your sorrow led to repentance. He's rejoicing for their repentance. For you were made sorrowful in a godly way that you might not suffer loss in any way through us. Godly sorrow produces repentance. You see, there's a difference here. There's a, there's a path or there's a thing, there's a steps that goes on here. Godly sorrow, godly sorrow, not condemnation sorrow. Because there's a difference. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but through him, to save it. There is, no, no for, therefore, there is no more therefore condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation is not what we're talking about here. Godly sorrow is sorrow brought about by conviction. He says godly sorrow or conviction produces repentance that leads to salvation. You see the stair steps? And then he says, he says, leads to salvation and brings no regret, but the sorrow of the world produces death. 
so. Godly sorrow produces repentance unto salvation. Worldly sorrow produces death. So condemnation, if you try to condemn others, it doesn't produce repentance, it produces death. It produces death. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is like when you take a child and you say, you've done this, this is wrong what you've done, and I know you can do better. Go and do better. In that, you're identifying that they've done something wrong, but you're also believing in them that, believing in them that they can do better. Sorrowful condemnation is you've done wrong and you'll never, you'll never amount to anything. You're always going to be wrong. You're always going to be this way. Nothing's ever going to change for you. That's condemnation. That produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance unto salvation. For observe this, my, this very thing which you sorrowed in a godly way. What carefulness it produced in you. What vindication of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What intense desire. What zeal. What, what avenging of wrong. In all things you have proven yourselves to be innocent in this manner. He's building them up. So though I wrote to you, I did, I did it not because of him who had done the wrong, nor because of him who suffered wrong, but that our care, care for you in the sight of God might be evident to you. So when you are bringing someone to the point of repentance, and you do it in a way of condemnation, your care for them does not show through. As a matter of fact, it feels like the relationship is ended because of the way that it is brought about. But when you use a, a loving way, what's it say in the Bible? It says that a brother shall restore a brother with meekness. Right? With meekness. So when we share this with a loving manner, it brings about repentance and our love for them should show through. Our love for them should show through. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. That's real unity. If you do this in the right way, unity happens. Amen? Unity happens. Why do you think we do Sunday school? To have discussions about Scripture. Sometimes we get greater understanding of one another's backgrounds through doing that. Bringing about unity. Why do we have potlucks? So we can talk and we can have discussions and we can agree to disagree or agree or not agree or whatever. But in that it builds unity and understanding between us as a family. And in that brings comfort. 
And that brings comfort. You know what Paul is telling them here? If you want to boil all this down, he's telling them here, no matter what, I've got you. God has got you. No matter what, I have got your back. No matter what, because we're believers in Christ, we are family. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. The fact that they were going off the path didn't anger him per se, but it brought him sorrow, and sometimes sorrow produces godly anger, as we read in Ephesians. The church to the, to, the, to the church of Ephesus, the letter to the church of Ephesus. We read his not only anger but sorrow. So it produced sorrow in him and therefore he confronted them in a loving way and their response to it brought him comfort. He says, verse 13, therefore we were comforted in your comfort. yes. And we were exceedingly the more joyful for the sake of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. That's true repentance, true life in God, true renewal in the spirit. Titus, who was a believer, was, res was refreshed by their attitudes, their content, their, their context, their 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 love for the Lord. He was refreshed in them. Do we, do we re refresh one another with our conversations and our, and our interactions with one another? Is it refreshing to be around each other? Some might say, well, not that guy over there. I tell you, he's a negative Nelly and he didn't. No. Is it refreshing to be around each other? Is it encouraging to be around each other? It should be, shouldn't it? That's what families are. Yeah, we get angry and we get cantankerous, but yet families do that and we should be refreshed by being around one another. So I am not ashamed if I have boasted of anything to him regarding you. Titus. She's talking, he's talking about Titus. He is not ashamed for his boasting to Titus about them because of their repentance, because of the change of heart, because of the change of attitude. He says, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even our boasting in the presence of Titus is found to be true. They are true believers now. They have turned from their wicked ways and they are truly walking with God. Their boasting was found to be true. Their boasting is found to be true of those people in Corinth because they did a complete 180 turn in their life and for their life. Not only get out of hell free card kind of thing, but their life changed. 
Their attitudes changed. Their demeanor changed. Everything changed. Their boasting was made true, was found to be true. That's an old question. You remember that old question that they used to, they used to ask? Maybe they didn't ask you guys, but I've been asked this before as a young Christian. If I were to be investigated to be a Christian, would I be convicted of that? If someone was to investigate you of being a Christian, would you be convicted? In other words, what things that people are looking for that should be a Christian is, can it be found in you? Can your boasting be true? Can our boasting be true of you? And if not, then that is a thing between you and the Lord. Go before God and say, God, I have messed up. I've not had the right attitude or I've not had the right demeanor or I've not had the right thoughts or actions. But God, I know you can change me and change me for the better. That is what it's about. If you were convicted to be a Christian, or if, there, or if you were investigated to be a Christian, would you be convicted of it? He goes on in verse 15. Now his affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear you trembled, you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. That's a big statement. Doesn't seem like much, but it's a big statement. You love it when people say, when people show you that they believe in you, right? You love that. When people say they believe in you. Or they show that they believe in you. They stand by you. They back you up. You love that. I love that. He's saying that he has confidence in, in them in everything. He believes in them. He believes they're going to walk this walk of faith triumphantly. Why? Because of their degree of repentance. Repentance is important. I've always said this before. I've said that we need to be a threefold person. Person of the word, person of prayer, and a person of repentance. And if you're lacking in one, you're lacking in all of it. The degree of their repentance gave him confidence in them that they would walk with God without question, without going side to side or, or veering off the path. Have we had an experience like that with God? Have we repented and God brought us to repentance in such a way that we would never turn aside from it again? He has confidence in them that they won't. He believes in them. He believes in them. And guess what? I believe in you. I believe that if you repent 
you will do your best to walk the way God wants you to walk. And when you fall short, you repent again and you get up and you keep going. That's the life of a Christian. The enemy loves to tear down God's people. Amen? The enemy loves to tear us down, make us fall, and make us feel like we're worthless. Yes, I believe we choose to sin. But in that choice, when we've brought to our senses, the enemy loves to keep us down. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not really a true Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. And he makes you think it's God. It's not God. It's the enemy. And he wants to keep you down. I believe in you. When you fall, you go before God and you repent. And you go forward. It's like a little kid trying to learn how to walk. You ever see, you've all, we, we've all had, except for Wayne, we, we've all had babies in here. Wayne's probably witnessed babies walking, right? They get up, they would make two steps, they fall down. What do they do? They cry for a minute. Mom or dad picks them back up. They walk again. Pretty soon they do it themselves. They get up, they walk on their own. But they don't stop. They keep going. Pretty soon they're walking with strength and with pride because they know how to walk. That's with us. We walk a little bit, we fall. We say, God help. He picks us up. He brushes us off. We continue walking. Guess what happens? Something will trip us up. We'll fall again. We ask God, God, pick me up. Help me out. God picks us up, brushes us off, sends us on our way. We walk some more. That's what a Christian does. What the enemy, what the enemy would like for you to do is stay there. Stay down. Don't get up. Don't call upon God. Stay down because you're worthless. That's the words of the enemy. That's not God's words. Get up and walk. We see that witness in the Gospels, don't we? Man laying on his bed. Jesus says, get up and walk. See that in Acts. Peter, James, and John, I believe. Man was laying on, on his bed and he said, he's begging for money and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And what he do? He could have said, oh, I can't walk. Are you nuts? I've been paralyzed since I was born. I can't walk. That's what the enemy wants us to do. Jesus says, get up and keep going. The enemy wants us to believe that we can't. But what did he do? He got up, picked up his bed, and walked home. That's what God wants us to do. When we fall, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Keep going forward. Right? Keep going forward. We're not perfect by any means whatsoever. I'm probably the least perfect person in here. And I fall on a regular basis, just like the rest of you. 
But I have to keep getting up and I have to keep going forward because it's important. Because God wants us to go forth in him. God wants us to be a mouthpiece for him. God wants us to change lives by the sharing of his word with other people. And we cannot do that if we're laying down unwilling to get up and walk. We cannot do that. Paul was saying, I believe in you that you're going to continue in this walk. And I'm saying, I believe in you that you're going to continue in this walk. Amen? So we rejoice when you come to repentance. Because if God didn't care about you, he wouldn't bring you to repentance. Amen? If he didn't care about you, he'd let you go on your way about your sin. But he brings you to repentance because he loves you. So when you're brought to repentance, rejoice and rejoice with others that are brought to repentance because God is doing something new in their lives. Amen. Does that make sense? So my challenge for you is this. Search our hearts as individuals and as a church to see if we are of God individually and as a church. And if we are not, we must repent. But repentance is just a word. Understand repentance is just an act. The actual, where the rubber meets the road, comes in the application of that. Comes in the application. God says start, stop, or change something. You're doing this wrong. We've got to recognize that and we've got to turn from it and we've got to go 180 back to God. That's what these people did. They were brought to repentance and by their action and their attitudes, they did a 180 and went back to God. That's our challenge. If God says anything that we need to change, we need to change. As individuals and as a church. Amen? So if that's clear, it's pretty clear, right? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you today for, Lord, your grace and your mercy. Help us, Father, to be repentant. Help us, Father, to hear your voice over the loud clamorings of the world. And, Lord, if you are, if you are compelling us to repent, Father, I pray that we would repent. And, Lord, I ask that you would be with us, that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit, And Lord, that you would give us the peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Father, I pray, Lord, that today that we are honest with ourselves and honest with you. If we need to repent, Father, help us to do so. 
And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.